Welcome to Grow Your Influence Tree with your host, Leonard Kim. This is the show especially for those that want to be among the top influencers of the world. We'll help you build your brand, tell the most compelling story, build your reputation and grow your audience, and attract the top clients and customers. Listen to the experts. Think like they do, and you'll be on your way. Now, here's Leonard Kim. Hi, Hi, everyone. Leonard Kim here. Thank you so much for joining us for this first episode of Grow Your Influence Tree. Today, I'm here with Blake Jameson and another guest who's going to be attending the show later, Sachit Gogwani. I think that's how you say his name. I usually call him Ratchet Sachit, but hey. Uh, Blake, what he's basically done is he's gone out there, worked in marketing and advertising and all that normal, boring stuff that I do. But one day, he decided to have a dream. And that dream, he wanted to go pursue it as well. And that dream of his was art. Now his um, paintings, they basically hang in like, you know, uh, Gary Vee's office, Hentwater, and all these other places all across the United States. And he's been making a huge dent. Uh, Blake, why don't you introduce yourself for the audience? Sure. Thanks for having me, Leonard. Oh, anytime. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think that sums it up. Uh, like you said, I worked in marketing. That was for about eight years and worked with clients of all different sizes, different companies from startups to publicly traded companies. And just got to a point where what I was doing on a daily basis wasn't challenging me, it wasn't fulfilling, and I needed to change something. Uh, It just so happens it was around my 30th birthday that I decided to throw in the towel on digital marketing and shift all of my focus to being a full-time artist. And now it's been about two years that I've been doing that, and it's been great. I I think it was just good timing for me in terms of just where I was at in my life and also having the digital marketing experience has actually been extremely helpful for marketing and selling my art. So having that influence has been a huge help in actually launching my career as an artist. Of course. Like whenever someone hits a new milestone, like I remember when I first started writing, I I was sitting there like scared and I was shaking and trembling going, do I really want to get this writing out there? And it was one of the scariest moments of your life. When you first made that decision to go out there and jump into art, can you kind of describe how that felt? Sure. Well, art is something that I've always been passionate about and I've always done it as a hobby. So when I would come home for a Christmas vacation during college, for example, every single time I came home, I would create some piece of art. But at some point in my life, and I don't really know when or why this happened, but I convinced myself that art was not a viable career path and Mm. that it was never going to be my profession. And even though, you know, sometimes you hear people saying, oh, I really want to do X. This is what I'm passionate about. And then it's like their friends and their parents are being the re- trying to be the realist saying, well, you couldn't make it as an artist or you couldn't do this or that. It was the opposite for me where my family was actually super supportive of me being an artist always. It was just internally like I didn't have that confidence. And I guess like the turning point for me of when I was going from digital marketing and like finally got the courage to like become a full-time artist I think it was just getting to the point where I felt like I had marketed enough different companies and products and brands that I truly believed that I could market anything. And Mm -hmm. the art itself is something that I believed in and I enjoyed doing. So it just kind of all clicked into place. Um, And like I said, it was like my 30th birthday. So it was just like, just a shift in perspective on life. And this is where it landed me. (laughs) Interesting. Like around my 30th birthday, I kind of had that same shift as well. 
like up until 30, I was nervous. I was anxious. I'm like, I haven't really accomplished much in my life and I'm about to be 30. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? But all of a sudden, like once I turned 30, it like basically clicked. And I was like, oh, I feel comfortable in my own skin. I have the confidence I never had before. And I kind of feel great about just moving forward with life. Did you kind of experience that same thing once you hit 30? Yeah, I mean, I think the age was part of it. I think, you know, the turning 30 was like the wake-up call for me, you know, evaluating the job that I was going to every day and sitting in this cubicle and just said, it's time to stop stop not being happy, you know? Yeah. So I do think that, you uh, know, turning 30 de- definitely played a part in, like, starting that snowball. Awesome. Like, I remember a few, uh, I don't remember uh, back exactly when, but you told me about a project called 90 Days to MoMA. Do you want to get into that for a little bit? Totally. Um, Yeah, so when I decided to become an artist, uh, I tend to lean towards doing, like, big extravagant uh, efforts, I guess. Like, I don't like (laughs) to do anything half-assed. So... When I decided to become a full-time artist, the thing that I decided I wanted to do to kind of launch my career was this 90-day video series where I do a vlog every single day for 90 days. And I wanted it to have a specific purpose, a specific goal within that 90 days, and I was trying to think of something that would just be absolutely ridiculous for an artist um, just because it might get press attention or people just might be like drawn to it. And so the goal that I chose was trying to get my art into the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art, which is called SF MoMA. And it's like a world-class museum. Artists spend their whole lives trying to get in there. And I decided that I was going to become an artist and get in there within 90 days. And so I hired a filmmaker and he moved into my house for the summer and we filmed every day. And it was just the grind and the hustle of trying to get my art into SF MoMA, which was which was exciting. It's funny now for me looking back on it because the goal of getting into a major museum or getting good gallery representation, that's very industry standard for art, but that's actually not the direction I'm going anymore at all. So it's fun to reflect back on that project. It was great, but that's not really like, that's not what I'm working on anymore. And from that effort, like, did it pick up any press attention? Did it get you any credibility, any new clients? Or what, what kind of came from that 90-day journey? Sure. So I got a bunch of things from it. I think the most valuable thing that I got was getting into the habit of creating daily content for this mm-hmm. you know, vlog, which is difficult to do day in and day out, shooting and editing and publishing a video all in one day on repeat. So it helped a lot with the way that I think about content production. In terms of press, it did get some press. I Honestly, I wish that it had gotten more. And it definitely built up some key relationships on kind of both sides. I have some people that have been fans of mine because they found me through that project for the last two years. And I also have people in the art industry who don't like me, which is good. They still talk about me, but there's like this mixed, this mixed reaction. It was really polarizing, which was kind of the point. And for me, I consider those art enemies, I guess, just as valuable as the fans and friends that I made through the project. So it was, it was a little bit of both. Nice. I mean, if people are talking about you, they're talking about you, right? It doesn't matter if it's good or bad, as long as your name gets out there and more people go and go, huh, is he really that bad of an artist? Let me go check out his work. <laughs> right, Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So what kind of direction are you heading in now with your art? 
so now I'm, again, trying to do things just differently than everyone else and do things all in. And so I reflected back and I looked at all of the art that I've ever sold in the last two years of being an artist. And I realized that 80% of it, even more than 80%, was going to offices, businesses, mm-hmm. mostly in tech. And I think that's because of my history in tech and those are my relationships. But when I looked at it on paper, it became really clear to me that that is the direction that I should pursue. I shouldn't worry about trying to sell my art to like established art collectors or get into galleries because that's just so competitive. That's what every artist is trying to do. And I just want to carve out my own little niche of being the go-to guy for anyone that needs office art. So basically, some of the key things that you really did in this process is, one, you really figured out exactly what you wanted to do. Two, you found, uh, made sure you were passionate about it. Three, you kind of went out there and took action. And four, you tried to do something big, uh, make some media attention behind it. Five, you decided to go find a different way and find a different niche in, right? Yeah, yeah. I think that sums it up pretty well. <laughs> cool. So, um, how, how's this process going so far? Like, what, what process are you in? Have you been approaching art companies? Are you running ads? Like, what kind of process do you really have set up for this? Um, uh, for the distribution of your art that you have going on. Sure. So, to get people into to, into the funnel, I have kind of a few different focused efforts. Instagram has been a great channel for me because it's so visual. And I've gotten a lot of work through Instagram, specifically on Instagram stories, where I document the, the actual creation process. So when I'm in my studio painting, which is almost every night, I'm filming and people can see the art kind of come alive. And then when I finally finish it and launch it, people feel like they have more of an attachment to it because they got to see it created, which is, you know, really cool. The other thing is LinkedIn, specifically because of the business focus, the business niche as soon as I defined that as like my target audience, I said, well, where are they? And LinkedIn was the obvious answer because that's where all the business professionals are. And so I've really optimized my LinkedIn to try and drive attention to the fact that I'm an artist for offices. And that's been going extremely well for me. And soon that will probably take over Instagram as far as what's driving the most business to me. Awesome. So, like, what are some of the key things that you did to really optimize your LinkedIn profile to make you stand out in the community? Because I know there's, like, a ton of artists on there, and they probably get, like, zero traction on LinkedIn, and, or they don't even think of using it because it's just, like, not the first thing you think of when artists is, like, marketing themselves. Totally. So, when I decided to overhaul my LinkedIn, the first thing that I did was I actually went in and just deleted all my old work history that wasn't pertaining to art. So I had left that on there because I wanted people to see that I had this digital marketing background, but I realized that that could be confusing people. And if I have eight years of digital marketing experience on my LinkedIn and two years as an artist, it makes it look like art's kind of not the main thing. And so I got rid of all my old work history and then I really beefed out like the bio section and the about and the little blurb and the headline under, under your LinkedIn, like title, uh, all of those just really honing in on I'm the guy for office art. And I just want to make that crystal clear. And so that was the first thing. The next thing is like just being really proactive and like finding the people who you want to connect with and just simply looking at their profile because of the way that 
LinkedIn will notify and say, Blake Jamison looked at your profile, uh, that can actually drive attention back to me. And that has driven quite a bit of people where it's pretty passive, but then they reach out to me and they say, how much to paint my dog or how much to paint my company logo, whatever it is. And that's been going really well. That's awesome. So you, you take on a lot of custom requests too. Totally. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite thing to really go out there and paint and get um, showcased into your art? So I really like painting, you know, the, the people that really inspire me, which tend to be like tech entrepreneurs and venture capitalists. So my, personally, my favorite painting that I've ever done is a picture of Gary Vaynerchuk. And it was on page, it was painted on top of pages from his Ask Gary V book. So I like yeah. to do a lot of mixed media stuff where I'll take someone's book and then I'll do a painting on top of it. Um, that's kind of, that's my vibe, <laughs> my jam. <laughs> awesome. Uh, let's see. Yeah, it's pretty cool to be able to go out there and just pursue your passion. Like, um, how has that translated into your life? Are you happier? Are you sleeping better? Like, um, what kind of influence has that really made? Like, getting out of the uh, normal daily grind and just going out there and doing marketing for other companies and starting to market yourself. Yeah, it's definitely a very different uh, feeling. I mean, I'm, I'm way happier and more excited to get up in the morning and to do the things that I do. It's interesting when I worked in digital marketing, I was a morning person and I would always try and wake up early and be productive and get, you know, the most important thing of the, do- of the day done before 10 a.m. And when I became an artist, I started staying up super late in my studio painting. I've found that I get my best creative work done from like 10 p.m. to 3 a.m. So I've totally switched like my sleep cycle and it's nice, like, I don't have to set an alarm. At, like, I don't set an alarm in the morning. I sleep however long I need to, um, however long my body tells me. But surprisingly, it's hard to sleep because I'm always thinking about new art ideas and new things I want to do, which is exciting, but it's, it can be challenging to fall asleep when my mind won't shut off. Yeah, I can definitely see how challenging it is, especially when you're doing something that you love. Like, I remember when I first got into writing, like, I'd be, like, writing every single moment I had. I'd be up to, like, 2 a.m., and I'd normally sleep at 12, and I'd be like, I gotta get this out of there. I just gotta get out into the world. Yeah. Yeah, so that's pretty insane. Um, we're going to be coming up into a commercial break soon. Uh, if the viewers are listening, you can always find me at Mr. Leonard Kim on Twitter. And uh, my website's leonardkim.com. Also, Blake here. Uh, your your handle is blakejamison.com, right? Or Blake Jamison That's right. on Twitter? Yep. And Blake that's your website, too? Twitter, Instagram, website, Facebook, everything. <laughs> Perfect. Sounds good. Too. Cool. So uh, we'll cut off to a commercial break, and we'll be back pretty soon. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Life is complicated and sometimes we all need a little help, but don't have the time for a full hour long session or don't know who to turn to. That's where BetterHelp comes into play. With BetterHelp, 
I can get matched with one of over 2,500 licensed and approved counselors and therapists and get help anytime, anywhere, totally private. For a flat weekly fee starting at $35, I can connect with my counselor via text, chat, video conference, or phone, which is great for me because I'm always on the go. And I can go back to previous sessions whenever I want through my secure account from anywhere in the world. It's a great feeling to know that help is there, affordable, private, and convenient to my schedule. We all can use a little help. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash VA health and register for free. You can try it for seven days without being charged on your credit card and get matched with a licensed counselor usually within 24 hours. Get better help today at betterhelp.com forward slash VA health. Want to improve your health, business, and life just by listening to a radio show? Well, we can at least move you in the right direction. Listen for Spotlight, the Allison H. Larson Show. Each week, Allison will speak with amazing guests and find out what's changed their lives and how they are changing the lives of others. From beauty to health to business and personal relationships, we're here to inspire you to live your life of passion. Listen every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Influencers channel hear the stories be motivated be inspired join us today voice america influencers this is grow your influence tree to reach leonard kim or his guest call into the program at 1-866-472-5795 that's 1-866-472-5795. Or drop a line by email to hello at leonardkim.com. Now, back to Grow Your Influence Tree. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. This is Leonard Kim here with our Blake, Blake, uh, guest, Blake Jameson. Uh, we're going to basically get into how we met. Back a few years ago, I think it was, I met uh, Blake through my friend, Cammie Pham, and she was involved in one of the books that uh, he was creating at the time. Uh, what book was that, Blake? So that was Tinder Hacks, which is uh, <laughs> Hacks. A, guide, a guide for guys to help them crush it on Tinder. Yeah, basically what he did is he created this book where he was able to go out there and connect people for dating and how to optimize their profiles, get more matches and everything like that. And me being this like Asian male, you know, um, Asian males probably have the most difficulty when it really comes to dating. I was like, you know, this is probably a program I need to get to uh, get involved with. So Cammy made an introduction to Blake and I was like, wow, this is great. This is everything I need to really go out there and revamp my dating profile. I'm not going to say what kind of results I got afterwards because um, I I'm still Asian, and I still don't have as much uh, of the charm that Blake really has, but that book really helped a lot of people. <laughs> and um, Do you want to describe like what kind of things were in that book? Sure. I think, you know, also what, what people should understand is that what I did was I moved to a brand new city, and I just wanted to use Tinder as a way to like market myself and meet people both for romantic reasons and also just for friendships. And so I modified my profile picture and I wrote hot match of the day on there and I put the Tinder logo on there. So I basically looked, made it look as if Tinder was endorsing me. Um, and then I wrote, and then I wrote this blog about it and that's how Cammy and I connected because she saw that article, thought it was an interesting approach, asked if I minded if she used the same template and like did the same experiment. And so she did the same thing for girls and I did it for guys. And then we wrote several, 
blog articles about it that ended up going viral and just getting tons and tons of attention. And then guys just started emailing me saying, like, what should I say? Like, how do you get a phone number? How do you set up a date? And since I had so many matches, I was able to, like, really meticulously test, like a marketer, <laughs> uh, you know, all the different intro lines or, or how to ask for a phone number and stuff. So that's kind of like the abbreviated version of how Cammy and I came to be and then ultimately how you and I met. It was never intended from the beginning to be a book. It just turned into one because there was so much demand. It was more of like kind of a creative marketing experiment, just trying to find a way to get, get attention and influence by standing out. <laughs> so by just going out there and experimenting with something, uh, Blake was able to basically turn into the dating king. And now he's basically going to become like the biggest thing in the heart, right? Um, with these new creative uh, marketing approaches and everything. Um, yeah. So, like, our listeners out here, they're seeing, wow, Blake's a pretty creative person, and he takes a really uh, interesting approach when it really comes to marketing, both himself and the companies that he works with. Uh, what are some tips that you could really give to the audience to really go out there and hone in on their skills so they could go out there and get into get their uh, get whatever they're working on seen by more people, get it out there so more people could be like, wow, this is what you're working on, or maybe even go viral. Like, what kind sure. of approaches sure. can people take to that? Sure. So, um, I think, you know, whatever industry that someone's in, and it could be an art, it could be an online dating, or anything in between, there's, there's a lot of people doing the same thing, that want to reach the same people, that want to make the same sales. And so, it can be really challenging to really stand out from all that noise. But the way that I've always looked at it, in terms of like, putting myself out there is that I'm willing to do these just like wild and crazy things like put Tinder's logo on my Tinder profile and then just see if it works or start marketing my art on LinkedIn and see if it works. And, you know, it's easy on a show like this to just talk about those wins and those successes because those did kind of go viral and they did get tons of attention, but there were also dozens of other failed attempts. And the great thing about like, trying to really think outside the box and be creative to get attention is that the worst thing that can happen if you fail is that you don't get attention. And so by design, no one actually sees your mistakes. mistakes. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Like it, it, which is like, that's always what I'm thinking about is like, what can I do to just be really crazy and, and, and different than everyone else where if I fail, well, who cares that I'm just part of the noise anyways. And so I think like that mindset going into it is super important that like, you know, Tinder hacks wasn't my first, uh, first attempt at going viral. It was just the first thing that actually did. Um, and then in terms of like the actual strategy of like how to like what to give people, I'm looking at the end customer that I wanted. So it's like with Tinder hacks, it's got, it's, you know, these men that are struggling with online dating and it's like, well, how can I give them what they want and help them? (laughs) Yeah. How can I help them the most and like come from like a value first, um, standpoint. And then, you know, if you look at like the actual Tinder experiment, like putting the Tinder logo and the match of the day thing on my picture a long time ago, I was looking at that of like, okay, who's my target audience? It's these women that I'm going to match with and how can I like make them enjoy Tinder and like laugh today? without, you know, without being a creep, like they get so many like creepy messages and stuff. So doing this kind of endorsed by Tinder little joke experiment, a lot of people found that hilarious. And they just, they automatically kind of 
liked and trusted me because like I'd already like made them laugh. And that's sometimes a hard thing to do on Tinder. So yeah. Oh yeah, especially through a screen when you've never met someone. They're like, Who's this guy? <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. I really get that. I mean, marketing is pretty hard, especially if you don't really know who your uh, audience is. And I really like the fact that you brought up that you really have to figure out who your target audience is. Do you really have a structure and outline on how you do that? Like, um, I know my process is to go, okay, if someone's, if I'm selling a cooking product, I have to think what kind of people cook. And I go backwards and backwards and backwards and keep asking myself questions. Um, what kind of process do you have set up for that? Yeah, you know, it's a great question because I'm I'm in the process of building kind of my ideal customer avatar right now mm-hmm. for selling art to businesses. So I think I, it's not really something that I've done yet for the art stuff. I, there are certain things that I just like think in my head of like, okay, well, if I want to sell art to companies, it's best if I can get ones where they like just raised money so that they have money to invest in some original artwork. So maybe when they reach like their A or B round and they're moving into a new office that has blank walls, that's, that's the timing that I want to like get to them. But in terms of developing the whole customer profile, like what they eat for breakfast and what TV shows they watch and what podcasts they listen to, I haven't really, I haven't done, I haven't dug that deep yet. I'm excited to do it, but I would love if you have any tips, uh, you know, on your process, I'd love to hear it. Sure. So uh, with personal branding, uh, what is my expertise, I really go out there and I help people build their brands, get featured in publications and grow their social media following. I look at my ideal customer and I go kind of backwards. I go, okay, so what kind of person probably needs most help in the internet age? That's probably someone who's about like 40 to 45 because uh, we're in our 30s and we kind of barely just get the internet because we sort of grew up with it, but it wasn't embedded into our culture. People are in their 20s they get the internet all day and they have like no problem with it but in the 40s to 50s it's a little bit harder to really understand how the internet works because if it's coming out late in the career it would maybe typing classes we're taking in school but wasn't something that was embedded into society like it was for us growing up so first i look at that then i look at okay so now I have the age figured out. What type of people would need this? Then I look, okay, consultants would probably need it because once upon a time, they used to get a ton of referrals. But as time progressed, their referrals started to go down and down because more people were looking up um, consultants based off the internet. And a lot of people were having their brands being built and people were going to these other people instead. And I was like, okay, what kind of businesses were affected by the economy? So I started looking at those and I was like, okay, let's break those down. There's construction, there's manufacturing, there's this and that and that. And every single thing that was really in that target range of the businesses that were hurt by the internet because other people were taking it away, that became my target Mm -hmm. market as well. Then I looked, okay, what kind of person would be able to afford my services? I had to look at executives at companies, so VP level or director level or higher because they have access to company budgets and they can uh-huh. allocate part of their marketing budget to uh, spending on me and my company to really go out there and build their brand. So that kind of narrowed it down even more because I was able to get my target audience um, based on that where I'm like, okay, if they're a director, they can pull a $200,000 a year marketing budget or 400000 a year. If they're a CEO, they could probably pull more. So I started to get that baseline on exactly what it was. Then the next thing I looked at was how much was this person earning? 
if they were earning 250 a year, 500 a year, 2 million a year. Um, but they probably saw decreases in their income or their company was hurting. They were probably the ones that needed it most. Like an example would probably be like Ford. Uh, Ford used to be the market leader, then they got a bad reputation, and now they're trying to do personal branding to reshape all of that. So <clears throat> I looked at companies in that position as well. And then mm -hmm. when it came down to the type of people, uh, what I did is I brought in a partner like Ryan Folan and Rachel Peterson and <clears throat> our other sound partner, but I brought in different personalities for us. So me, I'm able to relate with more of the uh, laid back, um, calm, like <clears throat> person who made it to the top, but then they're not super serious about business, but they make a lot of money. Ryan's able to relate with the more the go-getter and that type of person. So what we did is we took both our personal brands and we kind of mimicked that into our um, target audience and we're like okay if i like this type of stuff uh, my clients would probably like this type of stuff as well so i basically kind of mirrored myself into the clients but made myself a little bit older into that range i'm like okay what right. kind of interest would they have and um to make sure i was able to really target that um audience what i did was i started talking about all my interests and i made ryan start talking about all his interests and rachel started talking about all theirs so we could have more points of relation where when our target market uh does appear we're able to attract them in and land like ten thousand to forty thousand dollar a month deals that's basically our process on how we do things awesome i love like the yeah. whole reverse engineering is is really smart i love it yeah, and for art, it should basically be the same way. I mean, you could really go in there and, I, I mean, the easiest way to sell art is to just make art of someone who's got enough money to afford it. <laughs> and you can fill your fill their offices with it. So that's one strategy, kind of like what you did with Gary Vee. I mean, you made the Gary Vee piece, so Gary Vee picks up all the other pieces for his office, right? Right. So, yeah, I mean, it's funny. The, the Gary Vee piece is interesting because I actually painted that back in 2012 when I was doing digital marketing and just loved Gary as a digital marketer, but I didn't really have any value that I could offer him in digital marketing because he knew way more than me. He was like one of my mentors. And so painting this Muhammad Ali picture right when he re released jab, 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 right hook and mailing it to him was like one way that I could give him value outside of uh, the digital marketing world. So it's funny now, you know, what is it, five years later, now I'm a full-time artist, and that he has, like, one of the very first paintings that I ever, gave, like, put out into the world, really. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. I, I mean, it all starts somewhere. And, like, at first, you can't start charging. You have to kind of build up your reputation first. Like, when yep. I first started building my brand, I'm like, here, I'll help you with this. I'll help you with this. And I'm like, okay, now it's going to be 100 bucks. Now it's going to be 1000 bucks. Now it's going to be 10000 bucks. And I slowly just kept raising my prices as well. And it seems like you're kind of going down that same path where you're going to be able to charge a fortune for your artwork within, like, the next few years. So, I mean, if anyone out there is looking at buying some art, I mean, right now is probably the best time to buy it from Blake because a year from now, your prices are going to probably triple, huh? Yeah, I've actually already got my uh, pricing calendar kind of mapped out. Prices are going up literally tomorrow on the 1st, which, <laughs> is, which is awesome. They're going up tomorrow and then again on October 1st and November 1st and December 1st. And so I'm hoping by, uh, well, not hoping, I am by January 1st, 2018, going to be charging 10K uh, per commission, um, which is exciting. And that, that's I've pretty raised awesome. my prices. 
it's great. You know, I've, I, and I started off pretty low. I started out doing commissions for 500 bucks and then 750 and then a thousand right now they're at 1500 and people just keep saying yes. And so I'm like booked out for like three weeks now and I'm like, okay, I got to raise my prices. So it's also cool. Like being really transparent about how my, how my pricing structure works. And when I'm raising my prices, I've been able to drive people to buy art sooner than later because they know like literally I got a deposit today because the guy knows if he waits till tomorrow, the deposit's going to be higher. That, that's so awesome. I mean, I didn't have a pricing model where I just kept raising it. I mean, I just went with the market, but I was so excited when I was like paid like $250 to do my first article. Then I was so excited when I got paid $1,000. And I was so excited when I got paid $5,000 to do an article. I'm like, I can pay $5,000 to write something. This is amazing. <laughs> and it looks like you're going down that same path where, I mean, in no time, you're going to be pulling five figures just to get your artwork up there. And that's going to be pretty exciting. So, so I know you're you're all about this art. Like, what kind of uh, paintings do you have coming up? What kind of collaborations are you going to be doing? Uh, what's what's in store for the future? Yeah. Uh, so, like I said, I'm like booked out for like the next three or four weeks, which is amazing, and that's never a position that I've been in before. Uh, before I started focusing on offices, and so I'm currently working on a big window display piece for Hintwater in San Francisco. They purchased nice. a Steve Jobs picture from me a few weeks ago, and now they want another piece for like the front window on Union Street, which is great real estate for me as an artist. So I'm super excited about that one. And then the other thing that I've got in the pipeline is I'm painting all of the speakers that will be speaking at the Summit of Greatness in Ohio next month. Oh, wow. Which is like uh, Les Brown, Gabrielle Reese, Brendan Bouchard, um, Esther Perel, there's a lot of really great speakers, so I'm excited to do those eight people. And uh, I'm working on a piece for one of my favorite authors named Nicholas Sansbury Smith. Uh, he wrote a book called Helldivers, actually a series called Helldivers, which is one of my favorite fiction books. And so I'm painting the main character from his book, and I'm doing the collage with like book pages, and I'm going to be sending that to him. And then also Audible is going to be... Uh, sharing the content around it, the pictures and the video that I actually shoot while painting it. So those are the main projects, but it, like I said, it's just, it's crazy busy for the next three weeks, which is really exciting for me. Wow. That's pretty cool. Like, let's say one of our audience members or guests, they're like, you know what? I really want to get a hold of one of Blake's paintings. I want custom work or I want maybe even just to buy something that you already have in stock. Like where would they buy something that's already in stock? So my just website is blakejamison.com and there are prints available there and there's also commission something new, which is like a, a form that you fill out for some if you want to make a new commission painting. So that's probably the best place. I do have an inventory of original artwork that is for sale. I don't have that listed on my site right now, but usually if people are interested in buying an original, they'll just send me an email about it and just say, hey, do you have, is this piece still available? How much is it? Um, and I can like give them my whole inventory. Cool. And what email address do they reach out for you for that? Blake at BlakeJamison.com. Cool. And is there anywhere on social media that they should connect with you as well so they can keep up to date with your artwork, um, see what's going on in your life? For sure. Uh, the best place to actually see my art is Instagram.com slash BlakeJamison. And if people want to connect with me, either there on Instagram or on LinkedIn, which is 
linkedin.com slash in slash Blake Jameson. Cool. Thank you so much for uh, being here, uh, Blake. We really do appreciate it. And uh, we're going to cut off to a commercial break pretty soon. But uh, thank you so much for being on the show today. And we really hope you enjoyed your time here. Of course, man. Thank you for having me. It's been a oh, while. Anytime, we were overdue for a catch-up. Yeah, great. <laughs> I know. I still have to pick up those Forbes issues for you. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I got them for you. They're nice and safe. Cool. Sounds good. Thanks so much for being here. For sure, man. Have a good day. Enjoy it. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. I'm busy and so is my family. Leftover pizza and unhealthy takeout isn't really doing it for us anymore. Just ask my bathroom scale. That all changed when I found Freshly. For less than $10 a meal, Freshly delivers six meals a week, always fresh, never frozen, prepared by top chefs and nutritionists using the best, freshest, gluten-free ingredients. The best part is the menu is always new and fresh, just like the food, and it only takes three minutes for me to prepare breakfast, lunch, or dinner, and there's no messy cleanup and no dishes. My family loves the choices and the taste and freshly delivers to my home and my office so I eat healthy all day, every day. If you're tired of the same old cardboard delivery and takeout, try out Freshly.com today and save $20 on your first order using coupon code VAH639 at Freshly.com. Your taste buds and your scale will thank you. So save 20 bucks today with coupon code VAH639 at Freshly.com. Would you like to make more money, help more people, and have more fun? Tune in to Noah St. John's Money Mindset and Marketing Mastery Show because you'll discover the money, mindset, and marketing skills that will help you create the abundant lifestyle you desire. As an international keynote speaker, best-selling author, and thought leader, Noah helps business owners increase their income, influence, and impact. So tune in to Noah St. John's Money Mindset and Marketing Mastery Show live every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Change starts here. Change starts now. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. This is Grow Your Influence Tree. To reach Leonard Kim or his guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. Or drop a line by email to hello at leonardkim.com. Now, back to Grow Your Influence Tree. Hey, Leonard Kim, back here, and we're with our second guest, uh, Sachet Gagwani. Is that how you say it, or is it like Ratchet Sachet? Yeah, what what close, exactly man. is it? <laughs> you're closer than most people. It's Sachet Gagwani. Oh, Sachet. Oh, that that doesn't even sound anything like Ratchet. I, I get this wrong all the time. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so basically, you're like an app developer or something, right? Like, I see you. You're messaging me all the time, and you're like, "Hey, hey, hey," and I'm like, "What?" What in the world does this guy do? <laughs> I have no idea what you do except for I think you have some kind of app, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so you know the the newest venture. It's um, 
you know, our company's called Patreon Technologies. We do a bunch of stuff, but our most viral product this far is our uh, flagship consumer app on iOS. Uh, it's called Covertly. It's free on the Apple App Store. Uh, you know, we, we just really got tired um, of traditional social media where, I mean, this isn't the exclusive situation, but just for example, like during the elections, you know, a lot of people saw their good friends, uh, family, you know, they, they were arguing on social media over, you know, two people that they've never met in their life, probably will never meet in their li- lives, and they want to talk to each other for two, three days a week over some stupid debate. And But at the same time, you, you know, you got to keep in mind that, that that's what the Internet is for, uh, expressing yourself, expressing your opinions. So, you know, we thought, you know, we can solve I thought it was the uh, order pizza. Sorry, what was that? I thought, I thought the Internet was for ordering pizza. Well, that too, man. I, I order a lot of pizza. Um, <laughs> you know, bar- I had barbecue chicken pizza yesterday from Domino's, and um, you know, so I got to go home late. You know, we're usually at the office till like midnight on most days, and everybody here is working hard. It's it's, it's a really nice team, and um, you know, we're doing a lot of social media marketing. We're doing a lot of you know, obviously app development, uh, cryptocurrency trades. And it's really all in the tech and, and digital spaces. And, and, you know, we all started as basement hackers until, um, you know, I started, uh, I got a client uh, called Modern Vice. It was a shoe company in, um, in New York. And um, it was, it's run by a guy called uh, Jordan Adani. And he basically makes custom shoes, like really, really expensive shoes. You know, he's... Uh, Beyonce is a loyal client of his. Bella Thorne is a loyal client of his. And, you know, so I was consulting with him on, on the tech side, helping him out with his business. And, um, you know, and he got kind of mad at me because I didn't tell him about um, my consumer business. Uh, I was like, I didn't think it was relevant, you know. And and then next thing you know, he's like, I got to put you in touch with the one guy. So I had a meeting there, you know, it was over a weekend. I slept there and um, he said, you know what? Um, I want you to stay here for a couple extra days. I only had clothes for two days, right? So, um, and then I didn't so have a place to, to stay. Did you have to buy new underwear? <laughs> no, I actually wore the same underwear for five days <laughs> or four days. Um, and, and I was sleeping on this guy's couch in his factory for, cause we were in midtown Manhattan <laughs> with all the, you know, like, you know, truck tower and those skyscrapers uh-huh. and helicopters. So you had to make reservations if you want to stay anywhere like two weeks ahead of time if you're lucky. And so I was sleeping in, in this guy, like this guy's factory, right? He's got an in-house factory on it, this like tiny couch for five days. Um, next thing you know, he puts me in touch with Kenny Walk, you know, and, and now he's uh, one of our major investors and, and a really good mentor of mine, very successful um, business person in New York City, New Jersey. And um, he... The thing about these guys are we didn't want to go for a VC firm. We got a lot of offers from VC firms, but these guys were entrepreneurs that built up a brand based on rebellion. And I think that's what they saw in us and what we saw in them, you know. And and um, we wanted mentors that could advise us through that same process. So these guys didn't know too much about um, the tech space 
the tech space that we were specifically in, but they loved the idea. They loved the brand. So on the business side, you know, they advise us a lot. And that's really important for me because I went from writing code to being a CEO for the last six months. And, um, and now I haven't, you know, touched the tech side of it for, for several months. When did you start this thing? This covertly thing, about this app? Eight months ago. Eight months ago. And how many people do you have on it? Um, I, I think we're, I haven't checked for a couple of days, but I think we're at roughly 150,000 installs on iOS. We just hired a, um, an older guy um, as a lead Android engineer. Um, and so hopefully we'll be pushing that out in, in the next few months. Cool. So you have 150,000 people roaming around on the internet using your app to not order pizza, but to go chat. Like, what are these people like talking about? Well, like I said, it, it's more of a, I mean, people want to say things, right? Um, they go to work, they have a long day, they want to rant, they want to let everything out. They can't do that on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, LinkedIn. Well, most people, they can, they can do it, but they're not willing to, obviously, um, for the reasons what I was explaining earlier. do you think they're not willing earlier. to do it? Um, I, I just think, I mean, you're the expert in this space, you know, I guess it's their, their personal brand. And, um, my goal was to build a personal brand around and, and, um, a corporate brand as well around controversy. Um, and, and, and we need to accept that, you know, some guy, some smart guy, but is still just another human being like us created the English language and every other language. And eventually that morphs into words that, you know, could uh, that express certain things, slang, you know, different slurs. And, and um, people created this, right? It's just an idea. Every word is an idea. So there's no point of getting offended based on that. It's just that our social culture and pop culture has created that illusion and we're trying to show that to people because this illusion is, you know, it's just creating too much inefficiency um, throughout the Internet. And so you're out. People are going to rant there. And, like, what happens? Do you get to chat with other people who are ranting? Like, oh, I don't really know how your app works. Like, Yeah, so, like, if you imagine Twitter on mobile, right, um, you've got handles, you've got an infinite feed. It's very similar to Twitter, except there's no handles. I like Twitter. posts are playing. Yeah, and instead of the handle, it shows what city you're posting from. Um, So it's geolocation-based instead of handles. So we don't have a web version of it for that reason, because it uses the technology in your phone for... um, for identifying the user privately. So it's basically kind of, sort of, pretty much anonymous. Yeah, it's. I, I guess you could describe it as, uh, um, if you want to simply put it, it's uh, pretty much an anonymous Twitter. Oh, cool. So you basically build up an entire network where you have 150,000 anonymous uh, users all using your platform to basically go out there and rant. <laughs> yeah, because... The thing was about a year ago, mainly two years ago, you know, I used to express myself on traditional social media a lot, right? Like directly what I was feeling, no filter, 
completely raw. And, you know, a lot of people didn't like that. Um, and they didn't like that so or they didn't like, like you? Um, they didn't like that. And for that mm. reason, some of those people didn't like me. And I was like, you know what? I'd rather continue being honest than have um, approval from these people, even though I still would, obviously, like anybody else, prefer um, approval from these people. So instead of creating creating content, I'm going to create a platform that will attract that type of content in the same mindset. Hmm. That's an interesting way to look at things. So you were able to go out there and create a network where you could just basically uh, kind of be yourself, huh? Yeah, essentially. And, and you know, it's just sad because people go on social media, if they're not engaged in business, they go on it to, um, you know, let their stress out and, and have mm-hmm. fun, connect with their friends. And when you have this, this social censorship um, it doesn't allow you to fully do that. So that creates kind of internet slavery and creates a system where, um, you know, people can't say what they want because they think they can't say what they want, even though they can actually say what they want. Um, and we just need to show that to people. So that's what we're doing. So what you think happens is people, they really want to express themselves into a certain way, but um, they feel that since everyone's watching them, they have to be more like cultured, more civilized, and they can't really be their raw selves, right? Exactly. And that's respectable because you don't want your mom seeing you, you know, like say certain things that you may or may not want to say on, on Facebook. And that's fine. So that that's why we have a lot of traction. That's why we created our own platform because we are the place you go for that. And, and, and we own that environment where you only go there to create that type of content. Awesome. So I'm sure there's a lot of people who are listening to this who want to go out there and rant and they'll probably be able to check you out. But there's a lot of people here who are really thinking, oh, I'm building an app right now. How am I going to get 150,000 people to use it within like an eight-month period? What kind of tips do you have for them? Well, you got to have a great team, um, you know, and you got to build a proof of concept. Um, I mean, I, I wrote an article on LinkedIn um, back in 2015 on hiring developers, hiring, and, and I mean, I, I was fortunate, you know, I honestly had a an advantage in this because I had tech experience and I had business experience, but most people are one of, on one of two sides, um, one of two extremes. Um, so really got to figure out what you want to build, do market analysis on it, build a proof of concept. Um, I mean, we were running the app fine before the investors came in, but even though it, it helped us out a lot, but we had everything together. We had that team, you know, Sagar, our co-founder, CTO, um, he was an even better developer than I am, and I'm really, really good, by the way. Um, but he was uh, way, way better. I'm really good, too. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm horrible. <laughs> <laughs> but you can say I'm really good. <laughs> and, and, and operations, too. You know, Ashley's on the operations side. She's launching our brand ambassador campaign now. So we're going to be on, you know, all colleges in the U.S. And, um, and you're going to see our brand there. You know, we have stickers. We're going to have apparel. We're going to have dogs wearing our apparel. You know, oh cool! Stickers are gonna blow up your stuff. business. Yeah, no, Dad, everybody <laughs> loves puppies, and puppies attract women. 
and everybody loves women and, and boobs and and you know <laughs> boobs are gonna attract other women and other men. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, you know, you know, basically, you know, what you have to do is you have to go out there. You have to find the team first. Then after you find that team, you have to figure out exactly what you want to build. But before you build that, you have to make sure that you do market analysis to make sure people actually want what you're looking for. Then you have to go and build it and distribute it and then start marketing and go through all the process, right? Yeah. And, and, and as a founder, it's important to have all aspects, right? Um, I mean, no one's perfectly balanced. Like like I said, Sagar's a better developer than me. Ashley's better at, she's our other co-founder. She's better at operations than I am. Um, and... You know, but but I had the, I've had a lot of experience in both of those, even if I'm not as good as they are. Um, so, what I'm gonna do is, um, you know, just keep expanding my knowledge in, in, in all of these spaces, and then once we, um, you know, once we're able to to scale it the way we are, um, it's gonna be completely different because it's different from going from a ten thousand dollar you know basement startup to a $500,000 company, to a $1 million company, to a $10 million company, um, every stage you're going to be running it completely differently. Yeah, I can definitely understand that. And I've always heard that you're always like one month away from going bankrupt. Uh, we're about to wrap up the show right now. Sachet, let's say, say, how are people going to find you? Like, what, what are your handles on social media? What's your website? And what's your uh, app called again? Yeah, uh, so you can go to covertlyapp.com. That's spelled C-O-V-E-R-T-L-Y-A-P-P.com, covertlyapp.com. And, um, and you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at uh, the G. So that's S-A-C-H-E-T, the T-H-E, and then just the letter G. That's all my social media. So anywhere you want to follow me, follow me and then. Obviously, download covertly from the App Store. That's the most important thing. Express yourself. Free your mind. And join the safe space from safe space. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here today. This is Leonard Kim signing out. Uh, you can always find me at Mr. Leonard Kim on Twitter or at LeonardKim.com. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for making us part of your week. Listen for Grow Your Influence Tree with Leonard Kim every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Stand out, stand apart, and become a top influencer. We'll see you here next week.